Parable of the Pharisee and the Tax Collector, Luke 18, verses 9 to 14. To some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everyone else, Jesus told this parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I am not like other people, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and I give the t- and I give a tenth of all I get. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but beat his breath and said, God, I have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you this, man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Two weeks ago, we were thinking about anger and how we are all affected by anger. And I asked the question, you know, when you get angry, is it because you want to make a point or because you want to make a difference? Last week, we were thinking about, you know, how to deal with those people. If We all know one of those people. The, the person that you, you hope as you're walking along the street isn't going to come out and talk to you. The person at work that people are avoiding because they know everything and they can, they can be just really grating. We know one of those people. This week, just as we start, I want to ask some questions just for fun. Uh, you don't need to be all humble and worry about being in church and how you should respond uh, to, to that. I, I wonder uh, how many of you here even secretly, although it's not going to be secret if you put your hand up, um, <laughs> even secretly would imagine that you are cleverer than the average person. <laughs> yeah, right? I mean, I know I am. Right? <laughs> I, I know what my IQ is, and it's, it's, it's pretty up there. You know? Just saying, just saying. What about what about being a better driver than most people? As I was driving up the road this morning, there was a guy behind me. And he, I mean, we got to the bit in the road as you're approaching Edinburgh, where it's very twisty. And it's white lines, solid white lines for most of it. And he was trying to get out to overtake him. I'm thinking, where are you going? There's nowhere to go here. Now, I, was, I am definitely a better driver than that. I mean, I know that. And actually, I know that. I mean, I've had lots of extra training. I know that I'm a better driver than most people. Just saying, just putting it out there. What about, um, what about, do you think you're less sinful than everybody else? Well, do you know? <laughs> I know, moving on. When it comes to issues, most of us think that we are more right than other people. I mean, we just do. That's just, that's just what happens. I can't speak for you, but I know that it is really difficult to be humble when you're as amazing as I am. <laughs> Do you know, if, if, you, if you want to know about theology, well, I can tell you what to believe about everything that you need to know uh, about. And if you don't agree with me, I can show you where you're wrong. <laughs> In our reading today, Jesus was surrounded by people And many of them were convinced that they had all the answers. By the way, I should just add in here, for those of you who are watching online and those of you, I was joking, right? Just, just, you know, put that out there. 
But these folk who were there listening to Jesus, many of them thought they had it sorted. They, they had everything right. They knew exactly who they were and what they were doing. They thought they were cleverer. They thought they were better than everybody else. Some of them even thought they were holier than everyone else. So in verse 9, Jesus it tells this parable, and Luke says that it's, it was specific, and, and it was given to those who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everyone else. So it's, it's pretty pointed, this story. And he goes on, uh, you know, the, the, the story that was read, the, the two men go up to the temple to pray. One is the Pharisee, one's the tax collector. Uh, one uh, is, if you don't know much about Pharisees, uh, they were uh, outwardly, religiously um, observant, and they were outwardly righteous. They, they dressed the part, and if they'd been fasting and worshipping, they used to color their face so that people knew, and they would stand out and they would pray loudly so that people knew how good and amazing they were. Instead of the Ten Commandments they were given, they had upped it to 613. They were outwardly righteous. The tax collector, however, was outwardly despised. He was, outwardly people would have treated him as unrighteous because he was collecting taxes for the invading Romans. And tax collectors often in those days would skim off the top for themselves to increase their own income. And so to people looking on, he is not righteous. So the Pharisee, the righteous one, stands separate to everyone else, stands by himself. And he does the whole, oh God, I thank you that I'm not like everybody else. I thank you that I'm just amazing. Do you know, I just, I'm a wonderful human being. Look at all this stuff that I do. I fast twice a week. I give a tenth of all I get. And then the tax collector, he cannot even lift his eyes to heaven. He's standing back away from everybody else. And his prayer is, have mercy on me, a sinner. And Jesus says, he was the one who went home righteous. He was the one who went home right with God, not the one who on the outside looked and acted the part. Because the Bible says, all those who exalt themselves will be humbled and those who humble themselves will be exalted. And in that story, the Pharisee sees himself as right. He knows the law. He knows the truth. He's got it sorted. And this other guy, well, he doesn't know anything. But to Jesus, you see, it wasn't just about right and wrong. It's also about pride and humility. Because proud people don't really love very well. And so today, the title that I gave for this is, You're Not As Right As You Think You Are. We're in the third week of a series uh, that we've called No Offense. 
And we've seen that in the world around us, there is so much tension, anger, bitterness, even fear. And so many people believe that they are utterly, completely right about everything. They have everything sorted, everything sussed. And if you don't agree with them, then you are wrong because they are right. All you need to do is go online. And if you, if you type in something about uh, President Trump, you will see how polarized this kind of debate is. But both sides of the argument believe that they are utterly, absolutely, totally, and they are right and the others are wrong. And as Christians, unfortunately, if we are not careful, it's actually quite easy to slip into our own rightness, our own spiritual pride, much like the Pharisee. In fact, I would say um, respectfully that, that with all good intentions, sometimes those who are followers of Jesus tend to imagine it is our job to be right. Because that's what we're supposed to be, isn't it? I mean, we are supposed to be right because we have the truth and we preach the truth. We are right. But because we are right, sometimes we get offended by those who we consider are wrong. And we can find ourselves being offended by anything they do that we think is not right. We're offended by what they post online or how they speak or what they believe or how they behave. And if we live offended long enough, that offense starts to settle in our heart. And it simmers there and it begins to grow. And it grows from offense to contempt. And instead of hating what someone does, if we're not careful, we start to dislike, even hate, who they are. And that's never an appropriate place for a disciple of Jesus to be. But as Christians, we know that we are guardians of the truth. And truth matters. Of course it does. But if we are not careful, we can become offended by those who disagree with us. And then suddenly, we start to think it's our job to assess people, not judge them, because that's not quite right. We don't judge, but we like to assess where they may be. Because, you know, I have the truth, so therefore I have God's authority to be able to assess other people. And so if someone asks me what I think of someone else, I can assess them not judge. Well, he's okay, I think. But, you know, he's maybe a bit too into himself. Do you know what I mean? Just, uh, just be a wee bit careful. Or she's really great at what she does, but she lets the kids run wild. Assessing, not judging. Because we're right. We're right about theology. We're right about churches. We can 
become with no theological background or training. Uh, we can be armed with enough truth to assess churches anywhere and everywhere and tell you which ones are right and which ones are wrong. We know which ones are good and we know which ones are bad. And because, of course, we are right, we tell everyone that church is a bit shallow or that one is a bit liberal or that one is a bit conservative or that one is or that. And we get into all of that kind of stuff. Because, you see, we don't teach that feel-good, soft message. We preach the unadulterated Word of God, the exegetical, verse-by-verse teaching that Jesus never did. We are right. Our way of doing it is right. And anyone else who doesn't do it our way, of course, is wrong. And sometimes, without meaning to, we can get caught up in all of that. But the truth is, every single one of us are sinners. Some of us are saved by grace, but nevertheless, we sin. Jeremiah 17, 9 and 10 says this, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? I, the Lord, search the heart. I test the mind, even to those, sorry, even to give every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his doings. As much as we may think we are right about so much, we are often very wrong. And even if we are right, our approach may be wrong which discounts our rightness. What if you are more right than everybody else, but you're not loving? What if there are Christians who are right, but they're really rude? What if there are Christians that are right, but they act really badly? And all they're doing in an argument is making a point. They're not really making a difference. Jesus wasn't just concerned about right and wrong. He was concerned also about pride and humility. People are not drawn to Jesus by our moral superiority. They're not drawn to Jesus by how right we are. Just because we're right, it doesn't mean that we're making a difference. Jesus was the only sinless person. And what's fascinating about Jesus is though he was without sin, he drew sinful people to him. They came to see him. They came to be with him. They came to be near him. They came to experience him. He was perfect in every way. And those who were imperfect, who were full of darkness and secrets and sinfulness, felt drawn to that. They felt drawn to him. Just a couple of examples. Jesus went to parties where sinners flocked to him, enjoyed his company, and loved being with him. And the the people who were right really hated that, because these were people they should never have been with. 
Second example, that there was a prostitute who was so moved by the love and grace and glory of Jesus that she knelt at his feet to worship him by wiping her tears with her hair and pouring oil on him and perfume on him. And then there was the tax collector, the hated and despised man who had stolen it from the taxes that he was to give to the Roman government. And Jesus came for tea. And it changed everything. There was a woman who couldn't seem to hold a relationship together. Who'd had many husbands... And Jesus just spent time talking to her and loving her and offering what she was looking for. Living water that would satisfy her on the inside. He was perfect and without sin and yet he drew sinful people to him. Why do you think that sinful, broken people wanted to be around Jesus? Well, I think the answer is that he didn't make them feel awful. He made them feel loved. In the New Testament, there is a really important verse about how we should treat other people. And it's from John's Gospel. And it comes in John chapter 13, before we get to that main part of it. I want you to think about the context of what was going on when Jesus talked about how we should love one another. So John sets the context. He says that Jesus knew that his hour was coming close, that he was, he was going to die, that he was going to be killed. He knew that. He knew that he was then going to go back from this world into heaven. And If you can imagine, then he has been faithful to the the plan of his father. And now he's going to give his life on the cross. And the clock is ticking away in the background. And John says, having loved his own who were in the world. What did he do? It says he loved them till the end. An incredible thing to say. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them until the end. And how did he do that? Well, there they were sitting around the table, having their supper together. They're eating and drinking and talking. And Jesus broke the rules again. He got up, he took his cloak off. And he, the saviour of the world, knelt at their feet and washed them. He put on the slave's apron and he washed their feet. Something that only a servant would do. And they are stunned by this example 
that Jesus has set. And then they go back to eating, and during that time, he says, one of you is going to betray me. And Judas knows it's him. And Jesus says to him, what you have to do, go and do quickly. And Judas leaves the others, and off he goes to betray Jesus. And that's the context around that meal and around that example that Jesus set. When he knows the suffering that's coming, he is loving them, he is serving them, he is showing them what it means to be sacrificial. He has taken this humility on himself. And, and all the time, one of his friends sitting there, one whose feet he washed, is preparing to betray him. And he says, my children. And it's the only time that Jesus uses that word in Greek. It's technia. It's a relational term. Every other time, Jesus, the man, is their friend. But for the first time at this moment, Jesus uses this different word. Now he is not just Jesus, the man, the friend. Now he is God, the Father in the presence of the Son. And suddenly the term becomes my children. And his tone is different. He says, I'm only going to be with you for a little while longer. I'm about to give my life. He says, you'll look for me. And just as I told the Jews, I'm going to tell you now, where I'm going, you can't come. And he gives them a new commandment, a fresh commandment. It means not worn out. And this context, when he says it, he's loving them to the end. There's power in these words in that moment. They're words of life knowing that he's just washed their feet, knowing he's just been betrayed, knowing all of that, Jesus still says to them, love one another as I have loved you. Love one another. Just like in this moment, I have shown you what it means to sacrifice. I have shown you what humility looks like. In this moment, when I have done that, you have to go and love other people in that same way. Because by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. How will people know if we love Jesus? How will people know if we follow Jesus? How will they know that we are his, his children, his disciples? Well, they won't know by what we are against. They won't know by how we, we vote or by how we post online or by how right we are. They will know that we belong to Jesus by the way we love one another and by the way we love them. So why do we so often not love other people in the way that Jesus loved us? Well, sometimes I think it's because we are too busy being right. 
Jesus was concerned with right and wrong. He was also concerned with pride and humility. Because when we start with that prideful stance, that I'm right, that kind of negative cycle begins to start and take place. I'm right, I have the truth. Therefore, I'm always right. I always have the truth. The, the first thing then is you feel morally superior to other people because I'm right, I have the truth. And that's not a good place for disciples of Jesus. Because it's easy then to become angry and offended, which unfortunately is where so many people live today. And that's exactly the opposite of what Jesus was. He was the most right least judgmental person that ever lived. He lived a perfect and sinless life. We talked a couple of weeks ago about that story of the woman who was caught in adultery and the Pharisees who thought they were right and had it all sorted. And technically they were right. They should have brought the man as well, but never mind. They were right, this woman was wrong in what she did. And so they brought her to test Jesus, to try and catch him out. And Jesus had to say to them, whichever of you has never done anything wrong, whichever one of you has never sinned, I go ahead and throw the first stone. What probably unspoken would be added to that is, but if you have sinned, you've got no right to judge. So think about it. Jesus has never sinned. The only person who had never sinned. He had the right to judge her. But he didn't. He stooped down and he wrote something in the sand and one by one the men dropped their stones and started to walk away. And when they were left, just Jesus and the woman, he said, where are all those folk that were condemning you? And she said, they're gone. And he looked at her and said, well, I don't condemn you either. Go and stop sinning. Stop doing what you were doing. It was truth overwhelmed with love. How do you think that woman felt at that point? She was wrong. She knew she was wrong. And yet Jesus chose not to judge her. What do you think she felt? Well, I suspect she felt valued. She felt seen. She felt loved in spite of her sin because his heart was different. Jesus, yes, of course, he is concerned with right and wrong, but he's also concerned with pride and humility. And if we start with the idea that we are always right, and feel morally superior, we can become judgmental 
easily offended, easily angered. But if out of humility, we start with the idea that I am a sinner saved by grace, then we feel gratitude for what God has done for us. And that gratitude leads us to becoming more accepting of those who might be wrong, might be different. But because we are overflowing with love that comes through Holy Spirit from Christ, we can choose to love, to forgive, to continue with a posture of forgiveness and gratitude and love and grace and compassion. Instead of being right and ineffective, we can choose humility and be loving. We can still share the truth. Of course, we need to still share the truth, but we can do it in an effective way because we're not judging people, but loving them. It was Paul who said, if I speak in the tongue of men or of angels, but don't have love, then I'm only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I've got the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge and have the faith that can move mountains, but do not have love, I'm nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor, I give my body over to hardship that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. We could say if we read our Bible every day, if we have a streak of reading that's longer than everybody else, but I'm actually not making any difference because I don't have love in my heart. If I go to church every single week and have the right view about everything, but I don't love, then I'm not really making a difference in the world. Do we love one another in the way of Jesus? We are meant to be that light shining in the darkness of the world. To lead with love. To Jesus, it wasn't just about right and wrong, but also about pride and humility. Humble people, forgiven people, love others. Love people who are hurting, people who are broken, people who need to experience the grace and mercy and compassion and love of Jesus, just like I needed. So you might be right, but you might not be as right as you think you are. Jesus didn't call us to be right. He called us to tell the truth but he never told us they'll know that you're Christians by your rightness. He said they'll know you're Christians by your love. And so our prayer today really should be that with God's strength and God's power working in us and through us, we would become an unstoppable force of love in this place and in this community that spreads out to the world. That we would genuinely, humbly make a difference because we know 
how much we've been forgiven. How often we get it wrong. And so we can choose to love others. Amen.